Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. The last two verses from last Sunday set the scene for what's going on in today's passage. And actually they tell us how to view everything that's going on in the rest of the book of Mark. And as we look at it, you'll see they also prepare our mindset and perspective uh, for how to look at all of life. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Father, thank you that Jesus came to do that exactly. To announce that the time was fulfilled. To make us be aware of the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand. And to call us to respond to that fact by believing in the gospel and repenting. Teach us, Lord, what that means. I ask that your Holy Spirit would take your holy word and make your people holy. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus arrived on the scene and he has one thing to say. I have a message from God and it's good news. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. That phrase is a biblical term that means you're about to see with your very eyes biblical prophecy coming true, being fulfilled. Do you remember all those Old Testament prophecies? Watch carefully. Listen to the news that you're going to be hearing today and the following days with an ear to listen for God's kingdom. Because I'm here to tell you that God's kingdom is at hand. God's kingdom is being established and his word is active. Jesus tells them, listen up, look up. This is what all of history was designed to accomplish. For the rest of the book of Mark, there are two things that you need to keep in mind in order to understand the book of Mark. If you read with these two things in mind, you'll understand what this whole gospel is about. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Number one. Number two, repent and believe the gospel. That's the context of everything we're going to be looking at in the book of Mark. Mark wrote his gospel to help people understand the current events that were going on in their lives during that day. And if you want to avoid getting caught up in all the political tensions of the daily news, remember this, that same truth holds true today. 
if you want to understand life, if you want to gain perspective, what is going on? Are you hearing things in the news that trouble you? That make you wonder what in the world is going on? Where our world is headed? Take a deep breath, step back, and remember everything that is going on This is the context where you can understand it. The kingdom of God is at hand. If you look at life through that perspective, it will help you understand the reality of the things that are going on around us. If you take that into account, not only will the book of Mark make sense to you, but you'll understand that there's only one proper response whenever the world bewilders us. Repent and believe the gospel. Because the kingdom of God is at hand, we must repent and believe the gospel. So what does it mean to believe the gospel? Well, let's dive into the rest of the chapter and and see how Mark describes it. Verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were out in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The first thing that it needs to, means to repent and believe the gospel is to recognize that Jesus has authority over our lives. Our life purpose and our daily activities. It's, it's amazing to me in this chap, this, uh, these passages, uh, this verse we just read, that you can't wait until things settle down to answer Jesus. Jesus called Simon and Andrew, the first disciples, when? As they were casting their nets into the sea. Right in the middle of their work day. And then verse 18, the same thing again. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Then James and John, when did he call them? While they were mending their nets. Jesus doesn't usually call us when we're on vacation or between jobs. Usually his call comes right when we're in the middle of doing something important. And you might say, well, they were just fishermen. But this was their livelihood. People depended on them. It was the family business. What was going to happen to their dad when they left them? Jesus calls us when we're right in the middle of something important. And we have to make a decision. Am I going to respond to Jesus' authority? Or am I going to tell him... You need to wait until it's more convenient. 
The story is told of a captain of a ship. He was on an important mission. He had supplies that needed to be delivered to a very needy area. It was slightly stormy in the middle of the night. And he saw another light out on the sea. Immediately got on the radio. And this is uh, Captain John Oswald. And I have an important cargo that needs to be delivered for relief. Please alter your course. Another voice came on the radio and said, I'm sorry, sir, you need to alter your course. Do you understand who I am? I am Captain John Oswald. I have an important delivery. The people are depending on me for this relief. I'm sorry, sir, you need to alter your course. This is Captain John Oswald. I come under the authority of the U.S. government. I have relief supplies to be delivered. Change your course immediately. Sir, this is the lighthouse. Jesus is the lighthouse. When he calls, that is the time to alter our course. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how important our mission is. It doesn't matter how many people are under our command. It doesn't matter what kind of supplies we are delivering. When Jesus calls, that is the time to alter our course. Verses 21 and 22. Jesus has authority over our hearts and minds. When they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. In verses 23 through 28, we see that Jesus has authority over demons. And immediately, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus has authority over demons. Anything that controls and oppresses us, Jesus has authority over that. Emotional and spiritual battles... Emotional and spiritual oppression, all of that is under Jesus' authority. And if we sit and listen to his teaching, we'll realize that he has the power to cast all of that out of our lives. Scripture invites us to be amazed at the authority that Jesus has over the things that oppress us. 29 through 31, Jesus has authority over our illness and physical health. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. 
And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. 32 and 34, Jesus has authority over disease and physical and spiritual oppression. That evening at sundown, they brought him to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now this is the second time that Jesus does not allow the demons to speak. First uh, in 25, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And then in 34, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Do not listen to spiritual lies. Do not listen to anything that is oppressive to the Word of God being active in your life. Jesus' authority will not allow it to speak, so you do not listen because Jesus has authority over everything that attempts to possess, to oppress, to hinder the Word of God in our lives. 35 through 39, Jesus has authority over the demons that haunt us. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon rose, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also. For that is why I came. And he went out throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Why did Jesus come? We declared back in verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Then here in verse 38, he says, let us go out into the towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. It's interesting to note in verse 35, that Jesus' authority is rooted in prayer. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Back in verse 22, they noticed that Jesus' teaching had authority. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 
Then in verse 37, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Well, verse 35 gives us the secret of his authority. Jesus' authority is rooted in prayer and a deep, solid, continuous connection with the Father. Verse 38, Jesus' purpose, his vision, his calling in life is reinforced through prayer. After he had spent time in prayer and they asked him, what are you doing? We need to get out and go and do this. Jesus said to them, let's go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Whenever we need to know the authority of Jesus in our lives, especially whenever we need to have the clarity of our calling defined by God so that we know what we're supposed to do, even though all of our family and colleagues are telling us, come on, we need to get up and go this direction, you say no. This is the direction that God has called on my life. That clarity is found in prayer. Spending time with the one who called you will clarify your vision. 40 through 42. Again, Jesus has authority over illness. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. The rest of the story about this leper is a little bit confusing. Because there are things that well, let's just read it and figure out what, what went wrong. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to speak freely about it. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. <clears throat> when Jesus does something for you, don't you want to tell everybody about it? What's wrong with that? what we're being taught in this portion of Scripture is that because Jesus is active in our lives, we must worship Him first. What Jesus is telling this healed leper is that we need to prioritize spiritual needs over physical needs. Jesus prioritizes personal worship 
over public testimony. Yes, Jesus wants to make us fishers of men. That's what he called his first four disciples to be. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But worship comes first. Then testimony will follow. Not the other way around. I think it's pretty clear that the leper came to Jesus simply asking for physical healing. Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed him. And then Jesus instructed the man, I want you to give spiritual thanks for your healing. Go to the priest. Go to the synagogue. Go to where my people worship me. Go and worship in response to your healing. But this guy wasn't interested in worship. He did not do what Jesus told him to do. He did not go present himself to the priest. He did not worship God in response to his healing. He did not offer what Moses commanded. His actions, his disobedience, even his defiance of Jesus' instructions are simply a failure to worship God for what Jesus had done in his life. And that actually became an enormous hindrance to the ministry of Jesus. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places where people were coming to him from every quarter. What did Jesus say his purpose was? Verse 38, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there for that is why I came out. And we can see in all these previous instances, and immediately he went to the synagogue, and immediately he went to the synagogue, and immediately he went to the synagogue. Jesus went to the house of worship where people were seeking spiritual answers, were seeking to worship God. And this leper, who had only come for physical healing, not for spiritual interest, failed to worship. And he started telling everybody about what Jesus had done for him. And it became a hindrance to what Jesus was supposed to be doing. What this healed leper did, disregarding Jesus' instructions, neglecting to worship Jesus for what he had done, focusing on the physical miracle of healing and ignoring worship, caused such a huge flood of people coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Just looking for physical relief but couldn't care less about forgiveness of sins, repentance, worship, believing the gospel. 
so many of those kinds of people seeking help from Jesus. That the people that Jesus was trying to get to, the ones who wanted forgiveness, the ones who were seeking to repent, the ones who wanted to worship, were unable to come to him. Verses 43 through 45. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See to it that you say nothing to anyone. Don't go out and start telling people what I did. But first, go show yourself to the priest and offer cleansing for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Go to the priest. Go to the synagogue. Worship. Spend time in front of God giving thanks for what I have done. story is told of a father whose son was dying, needed an organ transplant. The father was the match. And as soon as the son was out of the hospital, he immediately went out and started telling all of his friends what his dad had done for him. Dad would call him from time to time and say, hey, I need to, uh, to talk with you. Can we get together? Oh, sorry, Dad. I got a speaking engagement telling everybody what you did for me. All the dad wanted was some one-on-one time with his son. But the son was so intent on telling everybody what dad had done that he didn't have any time left for dad. God stories is a term that has become quite popular this century. We all love to tell and to hear God stories. It reminds us of who God is, that he still has power, that he's still active in our lives. And you know, that's exactly what this leper was doing. He was telling his God story. What would you do if if God suddenly and miraculously healed you from Cancer, brain tumors, cerebral palsy, blindness, chronic pain. Wouldn't we want to get out there and tell everybody, look what God did. He changed my life. That's exactly what this leper did. He got out there and started telling his God story. But what Jesus is telling us in this passage... But Mark is communicating to us through what happened here. Is that a God story isn't a God story when you tell others what God did for you or in you. How he healed you, how he helped you, how he made you whole again. That's not a God story. A God story is when you see God active in your life and it drives you To worship him. The God story is not about us telling what God did for us. Because that's still about us. The God story is realizing what God has done. And simply worshiping him. It's so much easier to see 
mistakes when others commit them. But it's so hard to see it when when we're the ones committing the mistake. How would you feel if you were on a long-haul airplane trip and all the stewards and stewardesses were out serving the meal and then all of a sudden you notice that two of the stewards were maybe not stewards because they had on ties and a hat and bars so you stop and ask are, are, is this a new steward uniform oh no I'm the captain that's my co-pilot well who's flying the plane Oh, it's okay, it's on autopilot, don't worry about it. But I'd rather have you up there and and wait an extra ten minutes to get my meal. The calling, the purpose that God has given to his people is first of all, worship. And then, testimony. Jesus set the example. First of all, prayer. Then go and preach the gospel. His authority, his power was rooted in prayer. The clarity of his vision and calling was rooted in his intimate time with the Father. Don't be distracted by doing good things that we should be engaged in from time to time but neglecting worship. All of us probably have at least one thing that God has done for us, something significant where our primary reaction has been simply to go out and tell our God story. Tell people what God has done instead of first coming to him in worship. More than you giving testimony about what God has done, God's calling on your life is to come to him in relationship as father and child, as God and worshiper. Yes, the Christian life, our walk with God, is about our testimony about what God has done and who he is, but so much more than that. It's about our relationship with him and coming to him in worship. So let me invite you to take some time today, this week, to come before God in worship, one-on-one time, intimate with the Father, and worship him for his work in your life. Maybe it's something he's done for you. Maybe it's something he's done for your family. Gather them. Gather your family and tell them, we've already been telling people our God story, but we haven't gone before him and worshiped Jesus for his activity and action in our life. That's our primary calling, to come to him in worship. And when we do, your God story will be infused with an authority 
that will cause people to be amazed. What is this teaching with authority? And rather than being a hindrance and causing people to come to uh, seek the help of the church and, and get close to Jesus just for a little bit of physical relief, we will actually become fishers of men. Because when we come to Jesus in worship, he restores our soul and relieves our physical needs. Father, we thank you that you are God, that you are King, and we thank you for the authority of Jesus Christ. Father, it's so easy to forget that the kingdom of God is at hand. But I ask you to help us to see that every day. Give us the ability to repent and believe the gospel and to respond first in worship. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.